0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss.
1: But but no, you are right and I was wrong because it looks like the Biotronic compliance team had visibility into what was going on because they were trying to raise concerns, but they didn't have any oversight. So they raised concerns and then the concerns were filed away in a cabinet somewhere and nobody ever heard about it. And we certainly have seen that kind of dynamic plenty of times in the compliance world. So you are right that really it's not just about visibility, which is the table stakes, but actual oversight that you can exert some influence in these sketchy relationships that if you leave a sales team to their own devices, Lord knows what they'll come up with. And they came up with something quite interesting for Biotronic, that's
0: for sure. In this episode, Tom and Matt take a deep dive into the Biotronic False Claims Act settlement involving the anti-kickback statute, lessons learned for the compliance professional, and going forward. But first, a quick message from our sponsor. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back again with Matt Kelly for another edition of Compliance into the Weeds. Today, we're going to take up a False Claims Act settlement that was announced last week involving the anti-kickback law. In a company called Biotronics. Matt, you're the one that put this on my radar, so what did you find so interesting about this matter?
1: Yeah, Tom, Biotronic is a German company, ultimately. Its a US operations, I think, are headquartered in Oregon, and it caught my eye, very under the radar case, that really, in one sense, it's fairly straightforward, As anti-kickback goes, Biotronic was spending money, getting money to doctors in exchange, therefore, for prescribing Biotronic's products or using their products. Biotronic makes pacemakers and defibrillators, cardiac equipment, things like that. So it really looks like an anti-kickback sort of a case from the healthcare world, except when you get into the nature of the problems with the doctors, it almost reads like a FCPA case. And poor oversight of third parties, which in this case would be the doctors. But we have problems with documentation. We have problems with what were these third parties supposed to be doing? Are they getting paid fair rates and everything else? And it violates pretty much every precept of the FCPA Resource Guide's advice on how to deal with third parties. In almost every way, shape, and form, it looks like an FCPA case, except it's not. It is just a very FCPA-like issue right here in the United States in healthcare world, but offered some pretty good lessons about how you should be thinking about third parties you deal with quite closely and the internal controls you should have that Biotronic admitted did not have. Or I should say that Biotronic does not, it neither confirms nor denies the substance of these allegations. But nonetheless, what Biotronic did is actually fairly instructive for FCPA, for healthcare, or anybody else who deals with third parties. Oh, you're muted, Tom.
0: I was really fascinated that you looked, you and I both looked at this enforcement action, and we had different takes on it. And you've articulated the take that you put in your blog post, which of course, we'll link to in the show notes where you looked at this in the context of how should you think about a third party? How should you craft internal controls, and then I'll add from your blog post, what is your culture of compliance or how is compliance really thought of in an organization? And when I looked at it, it struck me of the sophistication of the bribery scheme. The dollars involved were not multi-millions of dollars, but the scheme seemed to be pretty sophisticated, and it drove home for me The need for compliance to not only have oversight over certain high risks, but also to understand what the business is doing. And this case did involve a German company doing business in the United States under U.S. law. So it wasn't FCPA bribery and corruption. It was domestic bribery and corruption. Yet the bribery schemes, the language used, or at least I saw the remedies as exactly as you said, as something that should be considered from a broader compliance perspective. Why don't we go into the lavish entertainment and more interestingly, the compliance training. You want to spell that out for us?
1: So, yeah, the violation was that Biotronic is getting bribes into the hands of doctors so that the doctors would then use Biotronic equipment more often winds up overcharging the federal government on healthcare spending, and that's your False Claims Act case. But the vehicle for how the bribery was done was the employee training program. And I had not heard that in quite a while. Basically, Biotronic would hire physicians to run training for Biotronic's own employees and then the scheme was that Biotronic would pay inflated rates for these doctors. The training would then be an excessive amount of training, or maybe it was training that really didn't deliver much value to the employee. Allegedly, the employee would be trained on how to assist the physician in implanting or using a Biotronic cardiac device. But The compliance team and I think the medical affairs team had very little say in who were the doctors who were getting hired at these exorbitant rates to run the training. Instead, the sales team at Biotronic were the ones who were selecting the physicians who would then lead the training. But for example, in one case, the doctor was being paid $400 for a training session for there was no actual employee. I don't know what the doctor was getting paid to do. Maybe this just didn't happen at all, was a no-show training, I'm not sure. But you were getting paid $400 per employee training. I am not clear, is that $400 for a session or $400 per person per session? I'm not, the complaint wasn't exactly clear on that point, but clearly it would be a lot of money. And many times the employees might have had enough training that they didn't need any more and they could be certified as trained, but the sales team kept the gravy train going for the physicians and they would train the employees yet more. And a lot of the employees were saying that they weren't getting any more value out of this. We should also note that the compliance department at Biotronic would then try to raise some concerns that the sales team was having too much influence in selecting the number of physicians that would be leading the training and who these doctors were. Those concerns were not heeded by senior management, and this went on and on. The period in question, by the way, was from 2013 up into 2021. So this is fairly recent. Although starting around 2017 or so, it seems like the company realized it was gonna have a problem and they started implementing more policies and controls around the training program. But nonetheless, for years, the salespeople were basically cherry-picking their favorite positions to give them these really cushy jobs, leading employee training sessions, too many sessions, not a whole lot of work, you're getting a whole lot of money, and then in exchange, the quid pro quo would be that at some point in the future, the doctor would then use the Biotronic devices more often. That's just the training scheme right there. We also have lavish entertainment and symposia and gifts travel and whatnot. We've seen that before as well. But Tom, I don't know that I've ever seen employee training used as a vehicle to commit bribery, yet here we are.
0: So the training where there were no attendees or no training was given, let's put that aside a minute because that's clearly outright fraud and was the basis of paying bribes to the doctors. But let's move to what I thought was a fairly sophisticated scheme. So it two components of that. One was that people would continue to receive training when they didn't need it. And so that would be one mechanism. But the second mechanism was to hold back employees. Not that I was ever held back in the second or third grade, but <laughs> to hold back employees, and so that they would receive training later, uh, receive a certification. And that struck me as pretty sophisticated, but the way I thought about it, Matt, was if you are dealing with a foreign government official or an official of a state-owned enterprise under the FCPA, you are not prevented from training them, entertaining them, providing them with gifts, but it's recognized as high risk. And if it moves to high risk, then you need to obviously have more risk management around it. That's typically in the form of compliance oversight, whether that is you have a minimum or you have a maximum that an employee can spend before they have to go to compliance, whether compliance has to oversee the entire process. But here we had no compliance insight into these more sophisticated schemes, and because this was under the anti-kickback statute, you simply substitute U.S. doctors for foreign government officials or employees of state-owned enterprises, and you get to the same place. So the message I tried to convey from that bribery scheme was compliance not only has to have oversight, but they have to almost on an ongoing basis monitor the program because it is so high risk. You analogize that to third parties, and I think we get to the same place because ongoing monitoring of your third parties is now recognized as a minimum best practice as well. So the, I was struck though by, it's, it's, tr- seemed to me to be a pretty sophisticated bribery scheme these sales guys were using to draw this training out to pump additional money into these doctors' pockets.
1: Within the medical world, in my humble opinion, this goes on in various ways. Now, I had not seen it go on with the training program, but it's all about how do you strike up relationships with these doctors that has the miraculous benefit of putting money in the doctor's pockets before they wind up needing to prescribe or use your products but really hiring them for consulting agreements which nominally you could say that's what this was hiring them to speak at a symposium that you're hosting which of course is going to be in monte carlo or santorini or hawaii and you'll cover their costs and they're going to speak for 20 minutes and you'll pay them an honorarium that goes on within the medical world there's a lot of it there and What stood out to me most was as I was reading this, like other than they are not foreign government officials, they're just doctors, this really is an FCPA case, just masquerading as an anti-kickback violation. But when you go and you look at the FCPA resource guide, and it's recommendations on how you handle third parties, which I looked it up yet again, and it's right there on page 62 of the resource guide. There are advice from the Justice Department, understand the qualifications of who are these third parties? Why are we using them as opposed to these others over here? And why are we using them at all for what? And are we paying them a fair rate given that what they're going to be doing? And if you just stick with those three points, you can start to apply it and the compliance risks around programs like this would come into force or come into clarity. Like, why are we picking these doctors as opposed to other doctors? Who gets to pick these doctors? Why is the salespeople picking these doctors? Shouldn't it be somebody like a medical affairs team at our company? Or shouldn't it be us, the compliance team, possibly? Why are we paying them $400 per person for a session that involves no actual people which leads me to believe. So 400 times zero, is that zero, who knows? But like, why are we paying them $400 as opposed to 200? How do we know that 400 is a fair rate? And it's a lot of documentation that the company should be generating to be able to show. This is why we're using these third parties at this rate to do this sort of stuff. That should be the ideal that you have, which of course, Biotronic did not. But once you understand the questions you should ask for the documentation that you'd need, then you can start to reverse engineer. Okay, if we need this kind of documentation, then we're gonna need these policies and procedures to get it, like a sign-in sheet for the symposium so that we can actually track how many people are showing up for this doctor who were flying out to Las Vegas or wherever to speak for half an hour, which was the kind of thing that Biotronic was not doing. It would just have a symposium. Who was going for how long? We didn't have a sign-in sheet, so we don't really know. But you can use the FCPA resource guides, points about third parties, to methodically work your way through to good policies and procedures you should have for your third party relationships. And that really was my big takeaway as I read this.
0: The second bribery scheme or kickback scheme was around lavish entertainment not gifts, but entertainment and travel. These were not new strategies. We have seen those for a long time. But the really question I wanted to use that bribery scheme to introduce to you, Matt, was how did you see the compliance function at the company being treated and did the compliance function itself Evolve within the length of time that was reported in the statement of facts. You talked about the training and compliance raising objections to that. Did you see anything else which led you to either think compliance really takes a backseat here, or something changed?
1: it Certainly, it, like the first few years of this scheme, from the allegations presented in the order, it looks like compliance did take quite the back seat. They were probably in the trunk, mostly because they hardly get a mention in the statement of facts and the allegations. It's just that compliance had raised some objections. And then what? Nobody knows. they, They weren't mentioned again. But that was in the first few years. But then you did see that by 2017 or so, compliance was starting to have more influence, particularly over the physician training. And then to a lesser extent, I also think that they were getting more control over the gifts, travel and entertainment spending and the policies that you would need to document why you were doing that. But then by 2019 or so, they had a new CEO at Biotronic. Seems like he also understood that this was a problem that needed attention and resolution. They've hired a new vice president of compliance by, I think it was the spring of 2021, who is still there today. So Biotronic has been Improving its game over the last four or so years out of this whole eight-year span. But we don't really know too much about what the compliance function did actually get to do or how loud of a voice or how much influence they had, especially in the first four years where it looks like they didn't have much voice because they got... Hardly any mention in the statement of facts about what was going on. We
0: also had two whistleblowers in this case, and a whistleblower award was paid out under the False Claims Act. So I think we should note that. The third parties, the bribery schemes, were there any internal controls that you might suggest or uh, rather came to you as needed that were not present or at least not reported in the uh, settlement agreement?
1: There, there were some recommendations there or some improvements that were made or some discussion of things that did not exist that should have existed, such as probably some documentation about why this third party, the doctor, why this doctor as opposed to some other doctor? And does this doctor have any connection to anybody within the company, the sales team, for example, picking these doctors? You could analyze what is the spending that this doctor does with Biotronic or any other company. And are we only picking our biggest spenders? Why are we picking our biggest spenders? Because they are the biggest spenders or because they actually know what they're talking about? And you could ask for documentation around it. That would be a good internal control to have. Certainly, there was some mention of symposia or events or other conferences that Biotronic might be sponsoring or putting on. And there was no mechanism to track who was attending and who, where did they come from? And was this a full house or were you paying somebody to fly internationally to speak for a brief period to six people? We do know that, for example, that's one thing mentioned in the settlement was that Biotronic paid international airfare at least once for a doctor to speak somewhere. And apparently to a very unattended or unenthusiastic symposia? I don't know, but the point is that they didn't have any evidence of how many people actually went and what was the value of having this doctor speak about Biotronic at this event? What would your procedures be to document who's going to these symposia? Who are they? Do they have any connections to the company? And again, how much are we spending for this person? Do we have an actual travel policy? Are we flying everybody first class, even if it's from Boston, New York? Or do we fly them if it's more than four hours or overseas, and then they get first class, that kind of thing. As I said, Tom, I think if you use the FCPA Resource Guide's discussion of third parties, you can start to think through how would we define or capture the rationale for using this third party. And then you can figure out we'd need this type of documentation, which would mean we'd need these kind of procedures to be able to get it. And then you can encode that into actual policies and procedures for your employees to follow. So that's how I would put the FCPA Resource Guide to good use, even if you are not exposed to the FCPA, like a domestic healthcare business in the United States typically isn't. But there's still a lot of really good practices you can beg, borrow, and steal from the FCPA world.
0: And I guess the final thought I might have, Matt, is that the breadth and scope of bribery schemes are only limited by the imaginations of salespeople who want to dream up ways to get money to people so they'll buy their products. And that means a compliance officer has to have oversight into that and has to think through how can you create a pot to pay a bribe. This one, particularly the training, I thought was very unique. And so I hope people will study this and consider what are the ways our corporation pays out money to third parties, and if it's a government employee, a foreign government employee, or a employee of a state-owned enterprise, do we have a set of visible eyes on that entire process? Because I found this bribery scheme to be different enough than one that we've seen that I think compliance officers should consider how is money going out of our corporation as well?
1: It's funny, Tom, as you were describing that, the phrase you said was compliance should have an oversight. And for a moment, I thought, is that really the right word? Or is could they just have visibility? But, but no, you are right. And I was wrong because I, it looks like the Biotronic compliance team had visibility into what was going on because they were trying to raise concerns, but they didn't have any oversight. So they raised concerns and then the concerns were filed away in a cabinet somewhere and nobody ever heard about it. And we certainly have seen that kind of dynamic plenty of times in the compliance world. So you are right that really it's not just about visibility which is the table stakes, but actual oversight that you can exert some influence in these sketchy relationships that if you leave a sales team to their own devices, Lord knows what they'll come up with. And they came up with something quite interesting for Biotronic, that's for sure.
0: Well, I can't wait to see what next week brings us. Thank you, Tom. This is Tom Fox again. I've linked to Matt's blog post on this subject matter in our show notes. I'd like to tell you about a great new show on the Compliance Podcast Network, The Corruption Files, where with my co-host Mike DeBernardis, partner at Hughes Hubbard, we take a look at some of the most significant FCPA and international anti-corruption enforcement actions over the past 15 years in the modern era of anti-corruption and FCPA enforcement. It's a great retrospective on some of the most significant enforcement actions. So check it out on the Compliance Podcast Network. The Corruption Files. Compliance into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network.
1: This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.